Matthew 28, if you would, this morning. Matthew chapter 28. This morning, we'll continue in our, our little study on the words after the resurrection, and we'll, Lord willing, we'll finish that next Lord's Day. And then after that, Pastor Phil's going to take a few weeks and uh, preach. Uh, we'll be heading to Israel, uh, and uh, he'll be filling in while we're over there. So continue to pray for us uh, and with us about that trip. And uh, pray for uh, and with him as he prepares for those Sundays as well. But today let's look at Matthew chapter 28. Let's start in verse number 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Father God, thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful word from our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the Great Commission. And I pray this morning, as we spend just a few moments looking at it, that you'll, you'll speak to us. Fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord God, today to preach only what I should, say only what I should, not what I ought not. Uh, protect me from that. And uh, just help me to be accurate and clear and practical in, in what I present. But help us also, Lord, to have ears to hear. I pray every one of us would listen to the word this morning, that there'd be no distraction, that we'd know it for what it is, the word of God, not the word of a man, certainly not of a fallible man like me. But Lord, help us to see that this is your word. And so speak to us, help us to hear, help us to respond today, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been looking into the various things that Jesus said after the resurrection. We have seen a word to the weeping when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other women outside of the, outside of the garden tomb. We saw a word to the woeful as he spoke to the two de- dejected disciples on the road to Emmaus. We saw a word to the witless as he met with the frightened out of their wits disciples in the upper room. And we saw, uh, last, last week we saw Jesus and seven of the disciples meeting alongside the Sea of Galilee and we saw a word to the wandering there as he spoke to the, those who were thinking of going back to fishing. And a very personal word he had there for the Apostle Peter as well. Each of those accounts, as far as we know, was unique. Each of those accounts happened one time. Uh, Jesus probably did not repeat the things that he said there because they were specific statements to specific people in specific instances. What he said to Mary Magdalene, he said once. He didn't need to say it again, as far as we know from Scripture. What he said to the men on the road to Emmaus, he spoke to them, and we have it, but as far as we know, it didn't need to be repeated. But today I want us to examine a word to the workers, a word to the workers, and I think we're going to see right off that this particular word, he did repeat. He repeated multiple times on several different occasions. This word is usually referred to as the Great Commission, for that is plainly what Jesus was doing. He was giving us our mission, our marching orders as a church. Each gospel writer describes a scene where he gave these words in some form. Each one describes it in a slightly different way. And Luke also describes the scene not only in his gospel, but in the book of Acts, in the first chapter of Acts. 
We read about it here in Matthew. Mark said in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Luke said, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And of course, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We notice right away that Matthew's account of Jesus giving this commission was took place on a mountain. We see that in verse number 16. We don't know exactly where that was. There are a couple of, uh, of possibilities that are usually put forth. One is the Mount of Beatitudes, where some of us will stand in just a few weeks now. Uh, but we don't know. We can't be absolutely certain. But it was somewhere on the mountain. This particular appearance is oftentimes cited by scholars as being the one Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talked about Jesus appearing to 500 brethren at once. And if that is the case, again, we can't be dogmatic about that, but if that is the case, it helps us with something, doesn't it? Don't you? Haven't you always wondered why it says here that he appeared to them and some doubted? And you're thinking the eleven have seen him multiple times now. How can they be doubting? But if this was really the five hundred, that would help us with that just a little bit. And so here they are on a mountain. In Mark, he gave the commission when he appeared to the eleven as they sat at table. Mark chapter 16 verse 14. So it was a different place. And Luke's gospel describes a similar scene between Jesus and the eleven, as does John's. And both of those describe this meeting taking place on Easter Sunday, one of the other appearances that we've already discussed. And, of course, in Acts, we see that the event took place 40 days after Easter, right before he ascended back to heaven. And so different times, different places, Jesus repeated his words to the workers, his commission to the disciples, to his church, to you, and to me. And so it must be important because he said it over and over and over again. I want us this morning to just concentrate for a few minutes on the example from Matthew, the one that we read first. We could draw something from all of them, but let's, let's take a look at just the one in Matthew. And I, I want to share with you, I'm going to pull three phrases out of there. I just want to make a few comments about. And then I want to circle back and make three very brief applications from those, and then we'll be done. So let's look again at Matthew, and I want you to notice. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Let's notice, first of all, that phrase, all authority. All authority. The Gospel of Matthew was written primarily to a Jewish audience, and it primarily presents Jesus as the king. And so authority is a theme that we see throughout the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, we see that uh, Jesus taught with authority. Matthew wanted to draw that out. And we learn in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 27 that he had authority over the natural elements when he calmed the sea. And in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 7 we read that his healing of the paralyzed man caused people to glorify God because he gave this kind of authority to a man. And so authority is seen throughout. But as one man said now, however, his claim is absolute. All authority. That's a very big word. I only have three letters in it. All authority is his in heaven 
and on earth. All authority has been given to me. I can imagine that as they heard those words come from his lips, that they might have gone back in their minds to something that they had heard read many times from the prophet Daniel. When Daniel said, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. All authority has been given unto me. In heaven... And on earth, he said, he has all authority in heaven over all that is there, over the angels and the principalities and everything that is in heaven. He has all authority. He has all authority on earth, ruling over every man, every government, every despot that would claim differently. He has all authority. Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg was the mayor of New York until not too long ago. In a recent New York Times interview, he made this astonishing statement. He said, I am telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. What an insignificant little man. And one of these days, that insignificant man is going to find that his claim of authority over heaven is not going to stand up. When he finds himself facing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who actually has authority on this earth and in heaven, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Don't you think it's an amazing claim? Isn't it an amazing claim that Jesus would say it? All authority is given to me. There's only two possibilities when we think about that. One of, one of them is that it is true. That Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's one possibility. The other is that he is an absolute wicked liar. Those are the only two possibilities for him to have made such a claim. He gives us no other options. Hence the importance of the resurrection. Hence the fact that we're talking about sayings after the resurrection. The resurrection is what proved. The resurrection is what backed him up. Because it was the greatest demonstration of authority that has been seen since the creation of this world. Anybody can claim, make grandiose claims as Michael Bloomberg showed. But only Jesus could back it up. He is the Messiah. He has all authority. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, he said. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Ephesians 1.22, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Colossians chapter 2, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head over all principality and power. 1 Peter chapter 3, he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Philippians chapter 2, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All authority has been given to me. In May 16th, 2014 Associated Press report, we read the following. You probably read this story. A pregnant Sudanese woman who married a Christian man 
was sentenced to death Thursday for refusing to recant her Christian faith, her lawyer said, according to the Associated Press. Miriam Ibrahim, whose father was Muslim but mother was an Orthodox Christian from Ethiopia, was convicted of apostasy on Sunday and given four days to repent and escape death, her lawyer said. Ibrahim, who is eight months pregnant, was given the death sentence after that grace period expired. In other words, she did not recant. And the death sentence stands. You know, throughout the history of Christianity, there have been countless disciples who faced that choice. And we oftentimes wonder, don't we? Why would they not just recant? Why would they not just say what they wanted them to say so that they would be allowed to live? And yet I think perhaps it comes down to this matter of authority. If Jesus is the authority, how does one recant? How does one say, no, he's not who I said he was when I believe that he is? How do you do it? To do so would be to say that these men who are demanding this of her are the ones who have the real authority. But on the other hand, if Jesus is the authority, she need not recant because he is in charge and he is taking care of her. And even if he requires her life of her here, the reward will be so great. What is there to fear from anyone else when the one we serve, the one who has commissioned us, is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth? Well, that's one phrase I wanted to pull out. Let me, let me mention another one. He also said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Let's consider that little phrase, make disciples. Make disciples. This is the heart of it. This is the heart of the Great Commission. We are to go. We are to make disciples. We are to baptize them. We are to teach them. That's the Great Commission as Matthew has given it to us. More accurately, we are to make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. Several sources I consulted pointed out the fact that the only real command here is make disciples. All those other words are participles. Now, I confess I had to look up what a participle was, because I can't remember these kinds of things. It's been a long time since I went to school. But I looked it up. And it said a participle is a verb that is used as an adjective, usually ending in ing. And so these are verbs, but they describe the act, and they are, to des- they are describing actions that we are to take, but they actually modify the main verb, which is make disciples. And so the way we would read this is we are to make disciples by going and baptizing and teaching. Would be perhaps the most accurate way to reach it. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's our command. Make disciples. So I guess the first question that comes to mind is what is a disciple? What is a disciple? And a disciple is really just a follower, but it's beyond a follower. A disciple is a committed student of the one he follows. A disciple, one man said, is one who has believed on Jesus Christ and expressed this faith by being baptized. He remains in the fellowship of the believers that he might be taught the truths of the faith. He is then able to go out and win others and teach them. And this was the pattern of the New Testament church. And, of course, he's drawing on several scriptures to arrive at that definition. Go, therefore, and make disciples, committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us right here. How do you make a disciple? He says, uh, and he says it in, in, in the other Great Commission verses too, he says we make disciples first of all by going to them, then preaching the gospel to them. We get that from Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. Then baptizing them and then teaching them. And that's the formula the early church followed. 
We see what they did right from the beginning. Acts chapter 2. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. They went to them. They preached the word to them. They were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so they went to them. They preached the word to them. They were baptized. And they taught them as well. So there's our mission. To make disciples by going to them with the gospel, baptizing and teaching them the teachings of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, we had a little exercise here at Friendship Bible Church. We tried to define what our mission statement was. And a lot of you participated in that particular effort. We had a bunch of meetings. We studied. We pulled out all these passages of Scripture. And we, we prayed over them. And we tried to determine what does the Bible says the mission of the church is. And you know what we came up with? We came up with this right here. Exactly what we all, right where we started in the first place. It's the Great Commission. We shortened it up a little bit when you see it printed in our literature. Our mission statement says that the mission of Friendship Bible Church is to go, to make disciples, to do it everywhere, and to do it until Jesus comes. But it's a great commission. That's what we're about. A third phrase I'll pull out of here, then I want to make a couple applications. We'll be done. Notice he said at the end, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you. I am with you. I think... I I can't speak for everybody. I can speak for myself, I guess. But we're strengthened, aren't we, in the task when we learn that the one who has commissioned us is the one who has all authority to do so. But aren't we also encouraged in the task when we learn that that same one is with us all the time, everywhere and every day? The one who has all authority and who is with us always has commanded us to evangelize and disciple. And with his presence and power, we can do it. It's not an impossible task. The one who has authority has commissioned us and he's right here with us. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know the book of Matthew started with that same exact thing. In the very beginning of Matthew, we learned that his name would be, he would be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And now we come to the end of the book. And here's the other end of the book end. We see that he is with us, even to the end. I am with you always. He gave us the same promise in Matthew chapter 18, that he said when we gathered, he would be with us. When two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I, with you. And now he says when we go out and fulfill the commission, he is with us. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, let me make three applications. From these, Because the question has to come to our mind. We've talked about this so many times in the past. This is not an unusual passage of scripture. It's not one that we, we ignore. We talk about it a lot here. What does it mean to us? What does it mean to our church? What does it mean to the disciples among us? And finally, what does it mean to the almost but not yet disciples who might be among us? Let's think about those three things. First of all, to this local church, what application could we make? And I I, I think obviously, there's no rocket science here, but I think obviously what we need to be reminded of is what we focus our efforts on. There are so many good things we could do as a church, and so many good things that churches do do, so many needs in our community and in any community. But all those good things must ultimately support fulfilling the Great Commission. We must be focused on our mission. Last week we were privileged to hear from Sister Jean Fotis. You remember her. She's a missionary to the Muslim people in Gambia. She's engaged in medical work, which is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a needed thing. But did you notice that her good medical work had a much greater purpose 
in that it gave her the opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission. Did you notice it gave her the opportunity to build relationships in the Muslim world? It gave her the opportunity to build relationships with Muslim women. And then once she had those relationships, she was able to present the gospel. And she was able to baptize. I didn't see any pictures of her actually baptizing, but people were baptized as a result. And the teaching of the Word of God certainly went forth. If you look at the missionaries that we support here at Friendship Bible Church, you find uh, this hopefully is... Represented in everyone. Many years ago, when we first came here, uh, this church this church supported missionaries. This church has, has, frankly, I think, always supported missionaries. But as we began looking down through some of the missions that were supported, we noticed that a lot of them were not at all interested in making disciples. They were what a lot of people would call purely social gospel. There were some that uh, that supported orphanages. One in particular orphanage, I recall, that we supported. I actually went to their website. And they had the word Christian in their name, which no doubt is one of the reasons that the church was supporting them. Had the word Christian in their name, and I looked on the website, and they had a statement right on the website that said, we're called the Christian whatever, I won't tell you what it is, because you go out and look it up. But, uh, we're called that because we want to make sure that we're still getting the support from churches. But we're really not associated with Christianity in any way. Dropped them like a rock. We've had several like that. Folks that, uh, missionary organizations that fed did good works, but there was no interest in the gospel, none whatsoever. Listen, our church certainly believes in feeding the hungry, supporting orphanages. If you look at the missionaries we support, they do all those things. We do as much of that as we possibly can. I don't know how we could do more as a church with the resources we have to do that. But in everything that we do, we need to remember that we need to meet the ultimate need of people, which is they need the Lord. And if we're not fulfilling the Great Commission, then we're not focused as we ought to be. At Friendship Bible Church, how this applies to our church is we dare not try and change our mission. It is the Great Commission. It's not the great option. It's what he has told us we must do. We have a lot of food ministries. We feed caregivers. We feel, feed those who are bereaved, those who are going through difficult times. We do support orphanages. We do all those things, but it's a means to an end, not the end in and of itself. And so I think in Jesus' words to the workers, there's a word to our church. And I would plead with our church, I would plead with the leadership of this church, that we never forget that. That we always remember and and don't get sidetracked from the mission. That we continue to go, make disciples, do it everywhere, and do it until Jesus comes. That would be one application. The second would be to the disciple. To the disciple. You see, if you've heard the good news of Jesus' death for you on the cross... If you've believed it, if you have turned from your sin and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, received the forgiveness Jesus holds out to you, then my Bible tells me you are saved. You are born again. And according to the simplest definition of the term, you're a disciple. But as we saw a minute ago, truly being his disciple involves more than that. A disciple is a committed follower. And Jesus lists a couple things here in this and the other Great Commission verses that help us understand what a committed follower must do. I'm going to mention one. You can look at the others on your own. The one I want you to mention is here in Matthew. Be baptized. Be baptized. If we as a church are supposed to baptize disciples, if that is our mission, then clearly disciples are supposed to be baptized. It's their mission, we might say. I know baptism doesn't bring salvation. I don't want to go down that road today. We know that. I I'll make that plain. Baptism does not bring salvation. 
But baptism is the first demonstration of salvation. Secret disciples don't accomplish much for Jesus. Secret disciples, as a matter of fact, I don't think accomplish anything for Jesus. If we are going to be committed followers, if we're going to be disciples, we need to go public with our faith. I think it's all throughout the Bible. Joseph of Arimathea is described in the Bible as a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. We would not know a thing about Joseph of Arimathea, and we would not know of anything about him if he had not gone public. When he became public with his faith, that's when he accomplished something for Christ. Baptism, that's what baptism is all about. So I want you this morning, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? Those who have attended the FBC 101 class... Or those who have just studied it out on your own from the Bible. No, the Bible makes it very, very plain that baptism is by immersion after salvation. Anything else that might be called baptism doesn't fit the biblical definition. You might say to me, I was sprinkled when I was a baby, Pastor. Well, that's nice. So was I. I was in an Episcopal church, and my parents took me when I was just a baby and had me sprinkled. But you know what? There there came a day It happened right about here somewhere when I trusted Christ as my Savior in this very building. And it did not take me long in studying the Bible as a 12-year-old to notice that the Bible was very clear that salvation or baptism took place after salvation and it was by immersion. And so I thought to myself, well, I was sprinkled, but that sprinkling was no different than I get every morning in the shower. It had nothing to do with baptism. And so I followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Because I knew it had to be after salvation and it needed to be by immersion. So I ask you this morning, have you been baptized? It's a command of the king. It's part of the commission. It's what makes a person a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the very first step. I know I've led some in this church to the Lord who have not yet stepped out and said, I want to be baptized. I would encourage you to think about that. You will never be a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the very first thing he's asking of you, you say no. You just will not be. One last, one last uh, uh, application, and I'm done, and that's to the almost but not yet disciple. You see, it is true that some are disciples but just aren't very committed. But you know what else is equally true? Some are just not following the Lord at all. Some have never become a disciple at all. Some are almost but not yet disciples. You've never made a decision for Christ. Jesus told a parable about the tares amongst the wheat. you remember that parable? There were tares growing amongst the wheat. And the whole point of the thing was you can look like a Christian. You can act like a Christian. You can talk like a Christian. You can smell like a Christian. But you might not be a Christian. And there's lots like that, I think. Almost, but not yet, disciples. And in that parable, Jesus said harvest time came. And the fakes, the tares, the almost, but not yet, disciples. Face judgment. And burned. And so I would ask you this morning, have you made a decision to turn your life over to Christ in the first place? Have you confessed that you are a sinner? That you're in need of a Savior? Have you believed that his death on the cross was in your place? And have you called upon him and asked him to save you? Have you done that? Because if not, then at the very best you're an almost but not yet disciple. I would ask you this morning to hear the gospel. Hear the gospel that we're commissioned to proclaim to you. Hear the gospel that Paul described like this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen 
by so many. Have you believed that? Will you believe that? Will you receive it? Will you call upon the name of the Lord right now, right where you are, and become not just an almost, but a real disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ?